0: You're listening to the Language Leaders Podcast. Hi, and welcome to Language Leaders. Now, on this show, we try and talk with leaders, from CEOs to heads of product, but really those that are pushing the forefront of language education, particularly online language education. In this episode, we interviewed Giacomo Moiso, the then-CEO of Fluentify, Fluentify has subsequently been acquired by Voxy. And so this makes it an extremely interesting story and a very inspiring one, particularly the founding story from Giacomo. I think you'll find it really interesting, so listen in. So Giacomo, tell us a little bit about yourself and getting started, when you started, how how the Fluentify story even began. Sure. So Fluentify started uh, in 2013 in London.
1: Uh, I had the great opportunity to uh, travel, study, uh, and work abroad for many years, um, since high school, actually. Um, And uh, I realized, uh, working with my co-founders, that the language space is a very crowded one. uh, But when you look for, uh, at least back... um, in the days in 2013 uh, when we were looking for a tool in order to practice the language uh, you wanted to improve um, with a specific focus on um, real life experience not just the grammar books and the rules Uh, it is just the language uh, you need to live the real life uh, out there Uh, well uh, we couldn't find uh, the platform, we couldn't find uh, the solution we, we hoped for. And so that's how Fluentify started. Um, it was funded by uh, myself and two other Italian entrepreneurs, uh, Claudio and Matteo. And uh, since then, many things changed. Uh, the goal at the beginning was to create the marketplace for language learners. So pure B2C a platform uh, that was aiming to grow and scale in terms of volumes. Uh, back then, the, the marketplace was eBay. So we uh, sometimes we we refer to our business model to the eBay for language learning. Uh, and then things uh, didn't work out as expected, but that's part of the the business life. <laughs> and um, here we are, uh, a B two B player now. Uh, focusing on um, we say southern european countries selling language learning to corporate clients uh, focusing on live learning experience so that's exactly what we do that's why we wake up every day that's uh, what we fight for
0: (laughs) maybe let's go back to that early experience what did that feel like when you were starting out and again you started out in b2c maybe uh, if you can kind of go back to that experience, I think some of our listeners may kind of resonate with some of the challenges that you were having and the thoughts you might have had at that time.
1: Look, when we started, um, we really wanted to be a B2C player. Mm-hmm. And the, the goal was to provide a super high quality experience to as many learners as possible. And the two things many times, not not always, but many times don't match. Because if you focus on quality and if you focus on volume, when there's a a component of uh, humans involved, that's very challenging. Mm. Um, So we very soon realized that we had to somehow look for Reducing the quality of our service and the teachers and the vetting process because every teacher on Fluentify was not able to join freely. Uh, I mean, for example, uh, if you look at other platforms like italki, that I respect and the and like, um, there's not a, a super clear uh, path in order to become a teacher. Everybody can, can be a teacher on italki, then you can be verified. And there are many other tools in order to um, reach that level of quality. Uh, But if you really want to focus on the kind of quality we're able to provide, well, that doesn't really work when it comes to B2C volumes. Uh, And the business model as well uh, was a pure uh, marketplace model. So we charged uh, a tiny fee on every single transaction. And again, if you're able to raise... Large fundings from venture capitals at that point, maybe you can succeed. We have great companies out there that did manage to make that model work. Think about Preply, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're massive now, so that's that's something something that we respect so so much. Uh, but in the end, we really decided, and and going back to your question, Alex, that wasn't really a decision we made. It was kind of a. A philosophy the way we decided to run our business we really wanted to keep quality under control mm-hmm. really wanted to be able always to say yes on Frontify you'll find the best teachers out there at a right price uh with a strong background not just because they're teachers but because they are business people they are entrepreneurs mm-hmm. they are they might study medicals they 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 do have a background that is not just the kind of teachers' background that you could find in a, in a language school um, and then, as I said, um, it wasn't it wasn't immediate to understand that that model wasn't sustainable. Um, yeah. at the same time, something beautiful happened, as it always happened in business, is that when looking at our students, when looking at the people that were spending uh, more money than others on Fluentify we realized that there was a common path there there were young professionals there were people who they used the language to, in order as a they were using Fluentify as a as a business tool rather than a language solution they wanted to practice for an important meeting they wanted to prepare a presentation they wanted to work on their emails because they struggle with uh writing in english so it was clear to us that frontify was not really the marketplace we envisioned but then for travelers and uh let's say b2c uh, students it was more it was becoming a business tool and so we started talking to companies uh we started um answering requests from entrepreneurs saying, look, I love Fluentify. I would like to buy Fluentify for my coworkers. Um, And you know, guys, that in the startup uh, world, investors always tend to say, be focused, stay focused. Don't get distracted. If you do B2C, just do B2C. Don't worry about everything else. The world is full of opportunities, but you just need to focus on one thing. So at the beginning, every time we received a request from a B two B client from a company, we would say no thanks, that's that's not our our model. We don't mm-hmm. do B two B. And then at the moment we started to say don't know, don't know, let's let's listen, let's see, uh, we realized that there was a, a large opportunity out there uh, that
2: today became twenty five. That's all. Wonderful. I mean, it seems as though it was quite an organic transition. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to hear about the, how you adapted in terms of actually selling um, the courses, because B2C, you know, it's, it's much simpler, so to say, uh, people can book or or pay online, um, and they have their teachers, their courses, but you know, going into B2B, it's more of a manual process. You have a lot of contact with different um, people in the organization. How did you manage to uh, create a process that um, uh, led to that? Yeah, and, and, and look, you, you spotted
1: 100%. So that's exactly the, the point, because when I get asked, when um, was Frontify born, the, the, the immediate answer is 2013. Reality is that Fluentify reborn in 2017 because we had to change organically, as you said, Mm -hmm. but we pretty much had to change everything. Uh, We had to change the platform uh, because, of course, um, the the student profile um, remained pretty much the same. Of course, we always improve it and there are new releases, but the core is there. Uh, At the same time, when you do B2C, you work with, in our case, you work with teachers and you work with students. When you do B2B, on top of that, there would be the company, there would be the HR manager, there would be the training manager. So we now have three different profiles, uh, we, we say. Um, and then the way you sell it is completely different. So there's no way, no, at least, as I said before, we target Southern European countries. So there's no way a training manager um will buy your solution with a credit card online forget about it that won't happen ever <laughs> so we had to set up a sales team uh based in strategic uh cities um people pre-covid pretended and expected you to to meet in person to pitch the solution to first, mm-hmm. simply have a coffee you know and uh and mm-hmm. chat um still still happening now um a little bit more on uh, on zoom coffees but uh you feel that at some point that meeting that in-person meeting might allow you to um to grow uh the revenue with that specific client or just consolidate the relationship and this is mm-hmm. something that when doing b2c it sounds crazy i mean y- you should spend the least amount of time possible with a single student, because yes, you should surprise them that, you know, the wow effect must mm-hmm. be there. But if that wow effect is true technology, it's better. <laughs> with B2B, it's exactly the opposite. You should always try to get your phone and, and call and have a chat and, um, and meet in person. So so, yeah, it, we really had to in the startup world, you tend to say pivot. Um, I believe that this is exactly what happened. So uh, in a very organic way, it took pretty much a year. We pivoted from B2C to B2B. And, and the beauty, if you want, is that we still have our B2C clients working and studying and uh, practicing on Fluentify, uh, but we do nothing in order to grow that user base uh, we have been doing nothing since 2017 now. So it's right. just uh, because of the word of mouth, because of our great teachers, uh, because of the way the platform works, that we continue serving uh, hundreds of teachers, uh, hundreds of students um, every week. Um, but reality is that everybody at twenty five is focused on B2B clients. The, the full team is is there, is focusing there.
0: I think you've done a really great job of explaining kind of that differences and also that, that transition. I'm particularly curious, maybe just to pull out some of the things you've said on when do you know that actually B2B might be the channel that you want to explore? And I think you've kind of, you, you kind of mentioned it in that you had stories or clients And and opportunities where a client was like, "Hey, I want this from other colleagues." So that was an example. Uh, Do you need to, in in your view, should you be looking out for what's already in your database to to kind of look at that that opportunity, or is it one of those things that you possibly could have worked out before you even started and then kind of really gone on that approach? I'm just kind of curious. I think um, we. If we started with a more
1: consulting approach, let's say, if we started the market a little bit better, uh, and if we uh, outlined in a clearer way that quality for us was more important than volumes, um, at that point, we should have saved a couple of years, I believe. Mm. Um, because, you know, Alex, the, the thing is that uh, both models work. And and you have the living proof out there. I mentioned a couple of of businesses, but again, if you just focus on Fluentify and Preply, you see that both models can be extremely successful. Uh, Fluentify is now a leading player in the B2B space. Super, we're growing, uh, expanding different other uh, geographies. But uh, out there, there are people that managed (laughs) to make uh, our, our model, B2C model work um so it's both are possible. um today we realized that b2b was more relevant to our business models than when we understood that with our product we were solving a problem for real and uh you know you'll every investor, every, every business mentor will tell you that you really need to be able to solve a problem. Reality is that with the solution we provide and we started providing in 2016, 2017, when meeting with uh, HR teams, you, you could and you can understand that what we provide is different, that um, a, a, a box is checked at that point. Uh, a training need is now covered when when clients choose Fluentify. And so um, I think that, that that is the number one question a, a, an entrepreneur uh, should always try to to answer. Um, is the solution I'm providing um, checking that box, uh, checking that problem? Uh, and, and I'm not sure we were doing that as much as a B2C provider. Uh, because yes, people using Fluentify were super happy. Uh, we had long-time students, but the, the volume was was small. So something is telling me that uh, there was there were other solutions out there that could were that were as much or even better.
0: Now that look you're looking at the market in 2022, would you say it's easier for a smaller business to approach B2B? or b2c or do you think they're equally as hard or as easy
1: i think they're equally as hard <laughs> <laughs> and uh and i'm not even referring to the space we're working because if you look at the space now um it's it's crowded it is crowded i mean uh you will find many many small players doing great things but are, they are still small so at some point I do expect there will be some sort of consolidation because it's um, it's challenging and in the end the risk is to fight on prices and that's not mm. safe that's not that's not even fair for the people behind the service I'm not referring to the entrepreneurs I'm I'm, I'm thinking to the teachers I mean we should not be incentivize and reducing the prices in order to to gain more more clients um but generally speaking uh, so if we do not focus on, on language learning um i believe that it's equally as hard um because learning is hard <laughs> learning requires a lot of effort a lot of time a lot of commitment so uh, no matter what you do if you sell to corporates uh, or if you sell to consumers in the end you always work with a person. You work with a with a student, and um, and and learning isn't isn't easy. So you really, sh- the goal is to solve that problem that we mentioned before. Um, the difference is that it is who's paying for it. So either the company or or, or the the person. Um, I I believe that learning in the end is a uh, it's a B2C business uh, because the company n- doesn't learn anything um, that the, the employees do. So um, it's um, and this is something that helped us a lot uh, when doing the, the switch, uh, because starting B2C and then moving B2B, the platform, the, the mindset was always referring to the learner in the end. Um, the the user experience the, the 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 learn the the learning path we we worked um, around in order to provide an effective a flexible solution always had the end user in mind not the company if we started B two B maybe I'm sure uh, we would focus more on the the guy with a credit card rather than the guy uh, studying on 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 our platforms so uh that's uh that's something that either way is art. uh but you should always have um a a, a feeling a, a strong approach on on b2c uh i believe even if you do b2b what
0: would you say are the kind of fundamentals you need to have in order to be able to even provide a b2b service what do you need to get right
1: it's a, it's a good question because b2b especially when you when you start it's easier uh, because with one client with one contract you can make a little bit of money so everybody i believe is able to sell his own baby his own company um so what makes uh, a successful b2b company is processes so, so you, you must be able to, not to to do everything with the with the same people but you need to have verticals so mm-hmm. there must be the sales team the customer success team uh, the product team and at the beginning you can be a one-man show for sure uh, but in order to scale that that it's it's hard um, b2c is different because per se it, it gets easier so with a uh, with a small team you can do uh you can serve hundreds thousands of, of students at a, at a time so um it's uh it's tricky i believe b be b because mm. it, it looks easier especially at the beginning i believe it is easier uh, if you look at the top line if you look at revenue mm. uh, but then going from one hundred k to a million and from one million to five million from five million to uh, ten million um it's a it's a different business every time it's a it's a different structure different processes um, and i'm not sure this is quite the same uh, when doing b two c
2: right definitely a lot of uh reporting involved uh, a lot of uh, admin in the back end so it's not just making making sure the students happy which of course should always be the the, the goal but you also need to keep the the company happy and you have the human resources department happy with uh, um, feedback reports, um, you know, quality management. So a yeah. uh, much more three hundred and sixty degree approach to to B two B.
1: And look, the the thing that I think it's um it's risky uh, when doing B two B is to become a consulting firm. That I love consulting, but sometimes you start with a with a product vision, and that product gets destroyed by many requests every company Mm. uh, is is coming uh, up with. And the the thing is that the product, in the end, isn't there. Every single client has different needs, and in the end, you become a consulting firm. Something that, Alex, Mm. you did uh, in a great way is to have a solid product that can be customized 100 percent but the product is there, it's always there. And uh and and there you create value because it's scalable but it's flexible. Uh and, and it's B2B really B2B. By the way, you are also uh, recurring revenue so it's even better than that. <laughs> but uh so 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 yeah that that's the risk that I see and uh, uh at some point um you know it's it's easy as like i said before it's easy to start uh, but it's also easy to not to not to scale so that's that's the issue
0: what recommendations would you have for people when it comes to that sale because you're going to be pushed at one point to kind of change your processes to fit a particular organization and in fact that's a lot of the time. What makes a small business get the first client is they are willing to do the thing that a larger customer won't, a, a larger player won't want to do because they don't want to bend their processes. How do you sell that? How how do you get around that? Because it's also like a an advantage and a disadvantage, I guess.
1: Look, Alex, I think you're you're a better position to answer that question because I learned you. That's that's exactly what you do great. Um, something that we did is so the. The secret sauce there is being able to say you, you need two things. You need great salespeople and you need an in-house tech team because a good salesperson will always say yes, but at some point is convincing you that the thing that you are asking is not exactly what you need, uh, but the thing that you need is the one that us as um, industry experts have already Uh, Worked on and can be some sometimes customized but reality is that you probably don't need that you don't even need that Um, still you need to be able to listen to the market uh, to the clients and to the feedback so whenever you understand that there's a feature that you're missing or whenever you find an opportunity you must be quick uh, and the internal tech team can can allow that Um, so the, the two things must work uh, very, very well together. Um, we ended up having clients asking for crazy things and the the invoice was so important that at some point we had to say, yes, uh, but this is part of the B2B uh, process. And again, this was possible because uh, we had a scalable platform and internal developers. Um, the risk is there alexander we we know that very well um especially at the beginning when you do uh, rely on very few clients um it's hard to say no uh it's mm. it's hard it's a risk it's literally you, you put your business at risk uh we say no because on the long term that doesn't make sense on the short term i need to pay bills so you know exactly. it's it's a <laughs> So the, the balance is, uh, is it must be there.
0: What would you say is the difference between, like, or at least the kind of balance between marketing and sales with B two B? Is it more about effectively the salesperson is the marketer because they're the ones that do the door knocking, or is marketing a bigger thing than people realize? Like, how do those two things go together?
1: To at Fluentify uh, when. And this is not true for everybody out there. Uh, when we discuss marketing, we think about two things. One is lead generation. So it can be either inbound or outbound. Uh, but this, is, this does pay off in the very short term. So it's, uh, it's kind of been uh, you have a goal and, and, you, and you get the leads. That, that's it. Uh, on, the, on the longer term, it's branding it's brand awareness and that's that's really what makes uh, a company um strong recognized and positioned in the in the relevant market uh in between again at 25 there's very little um uh, for example we don't do paid ads uh because it's a it's a it's a massive word um it's a it's a crowded one as you said before and many times the perception out there is that you you already know a solution you're not looking for a solution everybody has been bombarded by the duolingo and the babel and the many many solutions that we, everybody knows um so it's uh it's something that we don't do we rather invest in brand awareness or leads. And th- those two things, I, I, one is the opposite of the other, I believe. Uh, sales is different uh, because, again, mFrentify sales comes in when the contact has been qualified somehow. So uh, there's, a, there's a person or a company with a specific need, uh, with a budget and with a timeline in mind. And that's where sales comes in. Um, we do think that when you provide a solution that is around learning um talking sales isn't exactly what um what you really want to do it isn't uh, in the client's interest um at least in my mind when when you think about sales it's uh it's the <laughs> It's the U.S. guy uh, with uh, super strong sales processes that I will ask you twice every question, and uh, will call you at the end of the day. Say, "Look, my manager, allow me to do X um, <laughs> percent in discount if you sign tonight." So that, that to me, that saves. and it's beautiful when you sell a software. It's beautiful when you sell something that doesn't have a human component, doesn't have a learning component at at center. We rather define ourselves as learning consultants because that's what we do when we're meeting with a client. Um, we start asking questions rather than uh, pitching a solution because in the end, every company is similar but different. Um, we find companies saying, look, we want to provide language learning as a benefit uh, because we believe language learning is important it's an international company and we want our employees to uh, interact freely uh, among different uh, departments and, and, and countries that's beautiful and then we have companies saying look we have a new ceo is uh, from abroad and he must be able to speak our language so there's no time in 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 there so let's let's do everything we can in order to to reach that goal um uh, no matter the cost no matter no matter the effort so you see there's not there's not one solution there's no mm-hmm. um pricing isn't always there so it's a it's really a, a consulting service that we provide of course knowing that we have a strong product behind because the product in the end is the same um and that's not even true because every session is different being delivered by a human, by a teacher. So the, the product F-25, we always say, is is designed and delivered by our great teachers. So that's why we don't, we don't do sales in a way. We do, but we don't.
0: <laughs> and I'm kind of curious as well, what would make a good... So I'm just thinking if, if somebody's like, hey, I'm, I'm thinking that B2B is something I'd actually be really good at. What would be the ingredients they would need to have to be good at selling that? service so we've kind of obviously talked about platform we've talked about um you know marketing and sales and you talked about uh branding is something that builds over time but it's not necessarily the you know paid ads necessarily isn't going to kind of solve the problem which means that you might need to go to the places that those customers are or you might be relying on your salespeople to do the i think cold outreach and that kind of thing and sort of build relationships that way But I'm kind of curious on that salesperson, because again, the people that might be thinking is like, do I have the team to deliver on this? Is that salesperson like, do you need the, particularly when you're in that, let's say it's not totally starting from scratch. And let's say it's not also massive business. Is that salesperson like just good at kind of hunting and kind of building it? Or is that person more like a relationship builder or even a potentially an educator that maybe can kind of speak these things I asked myself this
1: question, this specific question so many times when recruiting salespeople. And uh, the answer I gave myself is uh, crazy simple. So I believe that one great salesperson does two things. The first one is passionate and um, and, and, and studied very well the product he or she is selling. So they, they really master the thing. They know everything about the the industry. They know uh, where they stand. Uh, they know why the solution they're providing is better than the others. And they also know what others are able to do and provide better. So th- this, is, this is the number one thing. They must be learners of the industry and the service. And the other thing is that they must be um, always reliable and always punctual. So uh, a a bad salesperson will always say yes, and will always say uh, will always provide an answer if they if they're not sure about that thing. It's better to say, "Look, I'll get back to you," and in a few hours, you know that you get that email um with the answer that is pretty well outlined and they might say no um or they might say no and provide you with a different solution but uh, there's no bushing involved that's that's mm-hmm. the more, most important thing because when you look at a movie the sales guy is always the one that uh stands up and is always the one the the, the loudest and the that's not what i what i think it's a it's making a good salesperson it's those two things they they know what they're talking about, and uh, and they, you know that you can rely, as a client, you can always rely on that person. Everything else is secondary. So everything else is, uh, can be helpful,
0: of course, uh, but it but doesn't make a huge difference.
2: Great words of advice. <laughs>
0: I think that was like the singularly the best, like one of the things that r- I've really learned from you. Thank you so much, Gio, Giacomo. I'm going to ask one question, unless you kind of have something else that you'd like to talk on, but is kind of your view on where things are going as well in, in the language space, like particularly since you've seen B2C and B2B. Uh, I think you mentioned consolidation, but maybe you have some other thoughts around where where it's going. Consolidation... Will happen,
1: I believe, at some point. Uh, it's happening already. Look at Buzu. Wow, <laughs> that, that, that was that was massive and well done to them. Um, but at some point, this will happen, and this will be in the client's interest for sure. Um, something that I see is that nowadays uh, we we are always asked to provide live content, so. The, the the teacher the person must be involved, but at the same time the content is key. What we are recording today, I think, uh, not not our single episode, but the podcast became and are becoming the best source of information out there. So it's it's crazy. When driving to the office today, I was listening to an interview done by Tim Ferriss to Mark Zuckerberg I mean that that is amazing. It's a long form interview where you can really explore things in details. It's just amazing it's the, it's the best content out there it's 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 hard, not because it's hard to reach Mark Zuckerberg, but it's hard to, it, you, each of us don't have m- much time in order to to do that uh, and also it's it's difficult to select the great content. So I'm expecting the next learning company to to fix that that problem to select the best content out there to somehow provide it in a short form version uh, and then being able to expand on that when necessary but at the same time not becoming the next uh duolingo the next bubble because that's Mm -hmm. that's been done already there must be a life component, there must be a person, there must be um, something that is, is per definition uh, custom. So people are looking for uh, tailor-made solutions around their needs, but the content must be there. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's the best moment and the hardest moment to create content, uh, but people that will master that will, will have a lot of success.
0: Awesome. Giacomo, I think we can uh, finish there. I'm going to quickly just uh, mention kind of what we've been through today. We've talked about your journey from B2C to B2B. We talked about your decision-making process and how you looked at your own customers and then you were able to see you know, a thread there that you really pulled at and then really went wholeheartedly into the B2B process. We talked about how there are some really significant differences between those and knowing what you're selling, particularly you talked about kind of reporting processes. I really liked how you talked about that um, balancing act between marketing and selling, and you had a fantastic point on the kind of sales ingredients you need to be successful, uh, and then finally some some great words of advice uh, at the end there around uh, where we're going, and uh, and it's a very exciting space to be in still. So thank you so much for that, Giacomo.